Here comes your news, your information, sports, ag information. It's all here for you as we get through midday on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Dirk Christensen, and before me, everybody we need to tell you what you can expect in the next couple of hours of information here on your Rural Radio Network station. We start out over at the Ag Corner with Jesse Harding. Well, we'll get an update from American Farm Bureau about agriculture exports and what it means. And that also ties in to a House Agriculture Committee hearing, which is being held tomorrow on NAFTA and the renegotiation there. What it possibly means to agriculture. Several ag groups are testifying at that hearing tomorrow. So we'll get a little bit about that, previewing it at the 12-13. Today for the 12-19, Dewey Nelson is joined with Dean Hefta. He's the director of Water Street Solutions. Their topic today is envisioning the farm's future. For the newsmaker today, I'm joined with Jeff Bradshaw. He's UNL Extension Entomologist at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center located out of Scotts Bluff. We are discussing the western bean cutworm, and it is posing quite a bit of a problem for Nebraska producers, not only just Nebraska producers, but farmers in general. Even though it's the western bean cutworm, it is found on corn. It can be damaging there as well. They're seeing unusually high numbers this year in Nebraska, so we'll discuss that. Now is the time to scout because they are in the process of laying eggs and hatching eggs, so it can help determine for producers if they need to do something yet again if their management plans are working or not. So that's for the newsmaker. And then the 117, Susan Littlefield is with William Schutte talking about farmers markets and they're important and Susan caught up with him. He's a producer from Virginia at USDA. They have a farmers market each week I think and so that's where they were able to catch up last week. All right. Thanks very much, Jesse. It seems yeah. like corn has got so many enemies. Yes. Out Everything's out to get it. <laughs> I think so. It's uh, Scott Foster over here, and uh, we're checking out the enemies at Big Ten Media Days, I guess. Well, first I'd like to say I had some sweet corn last night, and I'm a fan. Not an enemy at all of that corn, let me just say. I can assure you, you didn't run into a western cutworm. I know, boy, I sure hope not. A little added protein. (laughs) Exactly. Well, yes, Jason is working at uh, Big Ten Media Days right now. And now, what was that little gesture there with the two fingers? I did, it was Bob, really. That Bob a, did it. I, quotation I, marks? I'm, I'm sure. Looking there. Right. Well, the nuts from Columbus are up today, <laughs> as we will hear from Urban Meyer in Ohio State. We'll also hear from uh, uh, Mike Riley talking about some of the question marks going on, some trades going on in Major League Baseball. The Kansas City Royals and my San Diego Padres did a little uh, trading yesterday. We'll see if it helps the Royals. It won't help the Padres. And more is that. And the Windy City Series is uh, oh, taking yeah. place in Chicago. The White Sox, worst record in the American League, beat uh, the Cubs yesterday. No, I knew you would like that, Jesse. <laughs> So lots going on in sports. Right. Illinois checks in. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, here we go with Bob Brogan on business. Gains for banks and energy stocks are leading. Indexes higher in trading on Wall Street. Also, Senator Rand Paul says he will vote yes on a pivotal health care vote today. This afternoon, after receiving assurances from Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, he was holding out on that. And a Wisconsin company is offering to microchip its employees and that way they can open doors, turn on radios, etc. I'm just wondering, you know, then somebody might try to steal it, and it'll be your money or your finger. 
<laughs> the mafia's back. Only you, Bob. <laughs> Only you can come up with that. That's uh, all coming up for you today on Midday. Bringing Paul Perkins here to find out where that heat seems to be going. I just noticed a big expansion in northeast Nebraska for heat advisories this afternoon. Yeah, much of north central Pretty much all of north central and west central Nebraska in a heat advisory. Expecting those heat index readings up around 105 due to the heat and humidity in those areas. But uh, today going to be our last hot day for quite a while. That'll be nice to know. And uh, this information, the rest of what's to know, brought to you by Coolman Repair. Today, yes, our hottest and humidest. Hottest, hottest and most humid day of the week and of the next seven days as a ridge of fine pressure continues its hold over New Mexico. That heat and humidity all across the area making it feel as hot as 100 to 105. Already seeing some hot temperatures in north central Nebraska where that heat advisory has been expanded. Valentine and Ainsworth already before noon, currently sitting at 94, 91 at Valentine, or make that O'Neill. Most of our temperatures right now in the mid to upper 80s. We are as warm as 90 in Broken Bow and 93 currently on the temperature in the Albion area. Some gusty winds and the prospects of some dry lightning have prompted the issuance of red flag warning over much of west central and north central Nebraska. Any burning is prohibited in those areas for today. Thunderstorm chances increase from west to east tonight. Thanks to a cold front approaching the area, there is a limited threat for some severe storms. Not expecting a big severe threat, maybe some isolated cases of some hail and some strong winds. Otherwise, more thunderstorms possible tomorrow as that front tracks farther to the southeast. Canadian air on the backs and that front will cool our temperatures back into the 80s. High pressure starts to clear the skies for a drier pattern for Thursday into Friday. And as that high-pressure ridge that's brought all the heat and humidity to our area retreats more to the southwest, our temperatures will stay in the 80s all the way through Monday. A few scattered thunderstorms are possible over the weekend as some weak disturbances drop southeast. In the latest long-term forecast, temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas forecast to be near normal to cooler than normal Sunday through the first seven days of August. Those better chances being cooler than normal over Kansas. In the first half of August, we are still in that hottest time of the year. Central Nebraska daytime highs usually average in the upper 80s during that time period with overnight lows on average in the low 60s. There's a good likelihood, unfortunately, of below normal rainfall for Nebraska and Kansas Sunday through the 7th of August. In the markets today, weather factors include promising rain chances in the western Midwest and more dryness across the U.S. Plains and Canadian prairies of cold front will produce showers in the upper Midwest and nearby areas. That rain will result in limited drought relief in parts of Montana and the Dakotas. Most of the rain will fall across the eastern half of the U.S. with somewhat lower amounts across the plains. A chance of much-needed rain in the western Midwest is expected in the next two days, particularly Iowa. That would help to stabilize crop prospects. Rain also indicated for the eastern Midwest in the last half of the week. And in some areas of the eastern Midwest, that actually would be unwelcome due to already saturated soils. Crops continue to wither in the northern plains from heat and drought. Pastures in both of the Dakotas right now rated around 75% very poor to poor. Montana's topsoil moisture rated 92% very short to short. Very little moisture is forecast for them through the next week. In the southern plains, rain from the southwest monsoon flow is forecast to move over northern portions of the southern plains the next few days. That will result in a beneficial pattern for crop and pastures. 
Southern locales will stay drier, but temperatures in the next 10 days will be milder than previously forecasted. Most of the Canadian prairies are dry. The worst dryness issues remain in southern Saskatchewan and southern Alberta. In the Black Sea region, Ukraine and Russia crop prospects remain favorable at this point. Well, it would have been nice if we could get a whole lot of rain here as it gets a little bit cooler, but uh, you're saying it's probably going to be a little sparse, huh? Yeah, uh, more so towards the northern plains through the Dakotas and Minnesota, right through our area, some uh, beneficial rains, but yeah, in the long term, not looking at very good prospects for uh, big time, uh, good soaker rains, unfortunately. All right. And our uh, information, of course, weather-wise, brought to you by Coleman Repair. When you need weather anytime, krvn.com. <laughs> Look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. I'm Jesse Harding. Our agriculture exports continue to lead the way in world trade circles. The good news is from Bruce Gorder. We all know that the strong U.S. dollar is hindering our efforts to export our goods and services around the world, leading to an expanding trade deficit. The one shining star in our export picture is agriculture commodities. This is David Apadal, Senior Business Economist at the Federal Reserve Bank in Chicago. And for agriculture, that's been a positive story. You know, one of the areas that we have a surplus in the U.S. economy, and you can see that moving forward, um, now the USDA anticipates this year we'll actually move up again in terms of our exports. So we'll have a little bit larger surplus. And states like Nebraska, Kansas, and Iowa are leading the way, exporting such products as livestock, corn, soybeans, ethanol, and more. As David Apadal, he is the senior business economist at the Federal Reserve Bank in Chicago. And I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. Tomorrow there will be a public hearing from the House Agriculture Committee on renegotiating NAFTA opportunities for agriculture. House Agriculture Committee Chairman Mike Conway released this statement about tomorrow's hearing. Well, this week's full committee will focus on NAFTA and the importance of trade uh, to the overall ag industry. Uh, it goes without saying, I'm going to say it anyway, that uh, trade is a, important to the, the uh, success of uh, production agriculture. And so with the renegotiation of NAFTA, which is entirely appropriate, uh, we need to make sure that ag interests are well represented at the table throughout that full negotiation, much like they were with TPP and uh, in those negotiations. So we'll have a, a good slate of witnesses uh, to uh, talk to us about that and hopefully highlight the need that uh, uh, that this NAFTA renegotiation take into consideration all the aspects of trade as it relates to uh, agriculture in the United States. And on that witness panel will be the U.S. Dairy Export Council, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, USA Poultry and Egg Export Council, U.S. Grains Council, the National Oilseed Processors Association, and the Florida Tomato Growers Exchange. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange recently announced it has received applications from two Nebraska stockyards to become approved delivery points for the CME live cattle contract. The applications were submitted by Lexington Livestock Market for the Lexington, Nebraska location and Huss Livestock Market for their Kearney, Nebraska location. In a letter to the CME this past February, U.S. Cattle Association said the need to maintain deliverable supply as well as sufficient sale barn capacity through which the supply can be delivered against CME live cattle contract. The letter also requested review of the current approved delivery locations that provided the Lexington and Huss livestock markets along with six other auction facilities throughout Nebraska and Kansas as potential locations meeting CME's criteria. And also taking place has been the Senate Agriculture Committee for 
Agriculture, Nutrition, and Forestry today held a hearing titled Commodities, Credit, and Crop Insurance, Perspective on Risk Management Tools and Trends for the 2018 Farm Bill. And the National Association Wheat Growers President and Kansas Farmer David Sheem testified on the committee on the need for growers to have access to a strong safety net and risk management system. She said, and I quote, between record low commodity prices, unfair trade practices in the global market, disease issues, and extreme weather, wheat farmers across the nation are experiencing the toughest economic conditions they have faced since the 1980s. That's been a look at agriculture information. For more, you can find it anytime online by visiting RollRadio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. On our program today, we talk with Dean Hefta, Director of Water Street Solutions, and we're going to talk about envisioning the farm's future. What are some ways we can do that? Well, one of the best things we can do for our farm is really spend time looking ahead to the future. And I'm not talking about, you know, looking in a crystal ball or trying to predict perfectly what's going to happen, because the truth is we, we really don't know exactly what's going to happen. I believe some of the best farmers, though, are regularly thinking at. They're looking at those big decisions that are coming up that are going to affect the operation. They're thinking about where the operation is going, where they want it to go, what they want it to look like in 10 and 20 years down the road. And as the CEO of their farm, creating that future view for the operation is part of the responsibility they have of being the farm leader. And one of the advantages of having a vision is being able to have something that they can hold decisions up against. Uh, they can think about their bigger goals, their, their longer-term goals. And when new things come up, like uh, maybe it's a new piece of ground or equipment that they're going to buy, they can consider that in the light of where they want to go. We're talking with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Dean, how can this help us in the long run? Well, it's important to be really committed to thinking about the future and being intentional about guiding the farm to what you want it to be, not uh, what others want it to be. If you're not intentional, it can become something that you didn't intend. Uh, it can even end up in a place where you know financial survival becomes challenging because we haven't been very attentive to those key things. And so uh, I think a benefit of thinking ahead is it, it gives you time for that decision-making. gives you a chance to know in advance the major decisions that uh, are coming up so you can be more prepared, you can get better perspective, and then you can have more confidence because you're going to have a, a more informed decision. And, you know, you have the chance to then do more research and get insights from people that have maybe been down that road or have some uh, insights on that. And so in the end, you're really the decision maker. And so having those pieces in place can give you more confidence in the decisions you have to make. Dean, what are some ways to make sure we're doing this? A lot of farms like to have some, some call it soundboards, where they can bounce ideas off of. Someone that maybe uh, isn't too closely involved in their operation, it could be a trusted lender or advisor, maybe a family member that still has some outside perspective. And so being able to have that person that is close but not too close that they can bounce ideas off is valuable. Being able to get the advice of others can give us a different perspective. Uh, it might give us some new ways of analyzing things or maybe considering some of the implications of the decision in a way we hadn't thought about before. It, it just gives us that moment of, of gut check before we just jump in the pool. 
And uh, otherwise, we can really kind of be susceptible to, you know, our own emotions and not always consider the uh, the emotions that others have already experienced. So gives us a chance to really uh, have a new way of looking at our operation and in the decisions. And the flip side of that, though, is at some point you don't need more opinions and more information. You have to say, okay, this is enough. We've got 70 or 80% of the information we need. Now it's time to make the decision and move forward. If you have more questions about this or any other topic, go to waterstreet.org or call 866-249-2528. Today we've discussed envisioning the farm's future with Dean Hefta, Director, Water Street Solutions. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check sports with Scott Foster. Nebraska is making the tour today at Big Ten Media Days. There are certainly plenty of question marks regarding the program heading into Mike Riley's third season as coach. He admits it will be interesting to see how it all comes out. There's been a, a lot of changes within our deal. We do have a good core of people coming back, but uh, how that is all put together with what we have done defensively and making a move there to the 3-4 and the fact that we don't have a quarterback that has played it down for Nebraska yet. I don't know how that narrative sounds in general, but uh, that's where we are. Nebraska managed to go 9-4 and last year, but the season ended with a thud after the Huskers got off to a 7-0 and start, which included a top-10 ranking before the Huskers went 2-4 and down the stretch with humiliating losses to Iowa and a bowl loss to Tennessee. And he was picked to finish third in the Big Ten West Division. Even after going 11-2 last year and earning a place in the college football semifinals, Ohio State has something to prove this fall. The Buckeyes were humiliated in the FBS 31 to nothing to Clemson in a game coach Urban Meyer has described as one of the worst losses of his career. He says the team is trying to put that game in its rearview mirror. Uh, we've let this one, that, one's, that ship is sealed, that's gone, and we've not addressed it, we've not talked about it. But professionally, it changed how we do some business on offense. Uh, we move, we're moving forward, so that is not. It's in the back of everyone's mind, and uh, whether I'll use that during training camp or not is to be determined. But where we're at as a team, I like where we're at, so uh, we're just pushing forward. Ohio State is a heavy favorite to capture the Big Ten East title as 15 starters return, along with the recruiting class considered to be the best in the nation. The Buckeyes will open up the season with a conference game at Indiana on August 31st. Big Ten Football Media Days wraps up today in Chicago. Starting pitcher Trevor Cahill, closer Brandon Maurer, and relief Ryan Buchter are set to report to the Kansas City Royals after being acquired in a trade from San Diego. And lefty Jamie Garka joins the Minnesota Twins after being traded from Atlanta. He'll start Friday in Oakland. A lot of playoff contenders are busy trying to firm up their rosters before Monday's non-waiver trade deadline. One afternoon game in MLB today as the Windy City Series continues. The White Sox beat the Cubs yesterday. That's tough news for the Cubs as the Shy Sox have the worst record in the American League. That's a quick look at sports. I'm Scott Foster. More of Midday coming up next on the Rural Radio Network.
mostly sunny and hot today with a high near 97. Heat index values as high as 101. For tonight, a 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly after 11 p.m. Mostly cloudy with a low of around 71. Breezy with some south winds at 10 to 20. And then for Wednesday, a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Mostly cloudy with a high near 85. Southeast winds at 5 to 10. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Yesterday's crop progress report showed lower conditions in corn and soybeans yet again. KRVN correspondent Jesse Harding has more. Along with South Dakota, Colorado also saw lower conditions. For corn, they were rated 23%, very poor to poor, 20% fair, 57% good to excellent, which was down 11 points in that good to excellent rating over the previous week. When it comes to the sorghum crop, Colorado was rated... 21% very poor to poor, 38% fair, 41% good to excellent, which was down 26% in that good to excellent rating. Pasture and rangeland conditions was 18% very poor to poor, 35% fair, 47% good to excellent, which was down 17 points. More on this week's crop progress report can be found by visiting rollradio.com. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Thanks, Jesse. Big Ten Commissioner Jim Delaney spoke to the media on Monday to help kick off the activities at the Big Ten Football Media Days. This offseason, the Big Ten created a stir by announcing that it would start playing regular season games on Friday nights, a night normally reserved for high school football. Caribbean's Jason Jorgensen asked the commissioner about the pushback the league has received on this issue. I think eight of the ten... FBS conferences telecasting a little bit on Friday that, that that would be okay. But we did get pushback. We've worked to mitigate by very early selections. I think you'll see selections probably in the October preceding the season, number one. And number two, to work with the high school uh, athletic director, uh, uh, executive directors to mitigate. So this year we have two games uh, that are Friday and on Labor Day. Uh, Ohio and Purdue and Nebraska and Illinois. So we'll continue to work with people to try to mitigate uh, any negative impact in that area. The Big Ten is playing more games on Friday due to its new TV deal. NU plays at Illinois on September 29th in one of those new matchups. Officials say an inmate headbutted two staff members at the state prison in southeast Nebraska where two other staffers were attacked the day before. The Nebraska Correctional Services Department says the latest attack at the Tecumseh Prison occurred around 7.30 p.m. Monday when the staff members were attempting to move the restrained inmate from a cell to another location. The department says the inmate lunged forward to headbutt one of the staffers and headbutted a third staff member who came to their aid. The department says the injured staffers were taken to a local hospital. One had suffered a broken nose and the other had bruises. The names of the inmate and the staffers involved have not been released. The department says an inmate attacked two other Tecumseh staffers Sunday morning. In severe storm season, remember, the weather watch never sleeps. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Some insect issues have been arising within the state of Nebraska. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. With me is Jeff Bradshaw. He's a UNL Extension entomologist located out of the Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff. We've seen some reports, and if you follow Jeff on Twitter, you've definitely seen lots of moths of the western bean cutworm. Jeff, why don't you tell us a little bit about this insect and what we're currently seeing right now? Well, the western bean cutworm is a really important pest of corn. Uh, it's also um, probably one of the top two pests of dry beans in the state. And right now we've got a survey that Julie Peterson at North Platte, as well as Bob Wright in Lincoln, 
have been conducting for the past couple of years, uh, blacklight survey, and just looking at numbers of moths. And we've got blacklights out here as well for some other studies that we're doing. And we've seen record numbers of moths. In Binkelman in Nebraska, they, I think they peaked out somewhere around 3,000 moths, maybe 2,000. We've counted upwards to almost 1,000 in one blacklight trap here. And those are really large numbers. Those are numbers that we haven't seen in 10 years. So we've been trying to reach out through Twitter and other sources, other ways to get the word out that now is the time to scout for Western Bean cutworm egg masses, both in corn and dry beans. Try to figure out if you had an earlier spray program, if it's working, or if uh, right now there should be around peak egg laying right now. And so might be need for aerial applications in, in dry bean as the rows are closing or other application methodologies in corn. If someone is not too familiar with this insect, they're going to go out, take a look in their fields, see what's going on. Can you describe to us what the moth does look like and then what those eggs would look like too? Sure. So during the day, the moth, it's a night-flying moth, and so during the day, the moth likes to hide in dark spaces. So oftentimes, you might find the moth down in the whirl in the corn plant, for example, or in a dry bean field. It might craw- crawl underneath the clots of soil uh, on the ground. So you really won't be looking for the moths. You might see them if you happen to cross them, but they're not going to be readily apparent. So what we do in terms of scouting for both corn and dry beans is you look for the egg masses. And uh, Julie Peterson's been doing a good job of, um, through CropWatch and, and other media sources of sharing a lot of look-alike egg masses, because not every egg mass is a Western Bean cutworm egg mass. But uh, just to try to describe it a little bit, there'll be uh, massive eggs all kind of grouped together, whitish in color when they're first laid. And uh, typically, they're in corn, they're laid on the underside of a leaf, and uh, oftentimes a little higher up in the plant. So at least for corn back east, where the corn gets a little taller, usually what that means is walking corn rows and looking for the silhouette of that egg mass containing 30 to 60 eggs um, that's cast through the, you know, through the bottom of the leaf from the sunlight. A little further west, so the corn's sometimes a little bit shorter. You might have to turn the leaf over and look down, so maybe a little bit harder than looking for the silhouette. But in corn, that's how you would scout for, for the egg mass. And then you typically would be looking for a treatment recommendation when 8% of the plants that are sampled have, have egg masses. Or if, if you're missing the egg mass, if they're starting to hatch out, you know, the uh, recommend for uh, lowering the threshold would be 5% of, of plants with uh, egg masses or young larvae. In dry beans, it's a little bit harder, particularly once the rows start to close. You end up doing a lot of tripping over vines. But um, the, the threshold is, is very similar in dry beans. It's just it's harder to get an accurate count in dry beans. Oftentimes, producers and crop scouts will put out pheromone traps around dry bean fields to try to at least get an idea of what the cutworm moth pressure might be. But in terms of managing the insect, in corn, we have some BT traits that are uh, still effective for the western bean cutworm. There's some research doing going on right now looking at Cry1F traits in particular with some producers expressing concern, particularly in, in southwestern Nebraska and Julie Peterson's area, uh, with possible performance issues with, with things like Herculex-1, with Cry1F trait. Uh, but she's researching that and trying to uh, figure out, do a little bit of problem solving, see if that's really an issue or not. In dry beans, we don't have any BT traits available, so only insecticide applications 
uh, will work. Some of our producers will take mates in sex site application with their herbicide uh, program that they might have put on before they started running water, for example. And uh, that might have some efficacy, particularly for those early uh, early emerging western bee cutworms that came out. But I would, if I were them, uh, recommend that they continue to scout the fields with populations this this large. We might be moving into an area of the unknown, and uh, I would recommend that they continue to scout their fields to see if uh, those they get uh, a lot more egg masses coming on later, and there's a potential anyway that you might have to put on a second application of insecticide if you tank mix an insecticide on with your herbicide application. If a producer has any questions, whether it's in the scouting or some of the management practices, what's the best avenue for them to go to for more information about this or to talk with someone? Certainly, if you log into CropWatch, uh, we do keep regular updates. Uh, Julie's been doing a really good job of keeping updates on CropWatch uh, for um, our survey. Uh, certainly, you could contact myself or Julie Peterson or Bob Wright if you have any questions about in their areas, you know, in central, southern Nebraska and eastern Nebraska in the Panhandle. If you have any questions about performance of, of products or traits, or just general questions about scouting for western bean cutworm uh, or expected damage, uh, please feel free to contact us. We've been talking with Jeff Bradshaw. He's UNL Extension entomologist located at the Panhandle Research and Extension Center in Scotts Bluff discussing the western bean cutworm. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Welcome back. Next, we talk with Joe Teal of Great Plains Commodities about the livestock futures trade. Joe? Yes, sir. Well, we had a follow-through on the uh, cattle market from yesterday. Uh, uh, we did uh, uh, have a nice little bounce in the middle of the session, uh, uh, but it did not hold. And uh, we've got some triple-digit losses again. The August, the nearby August, uh, only 70 cents lower. So uh, holding back because of uh, the discount to cash, and we are moving toward uh, the 1st of August. So that uh, kind of held things up, but the rest of them uh, came under some pressure uh, during the uh, latter part of the session uh, uh, with nothing positive really to, to talk about there. Uh, cutouts lower again in the Vox volume uh, on the light side. So that uh, renewed the uh, pressure. Now, the good news was, is over in the hogs, we uh, finishing mostly higher, uh, uh, led by the August, nearby August. But considering the, the discount that we continue to carry, uh, that uh, uh, is not really all that big a surprise. We're going to narrow that gap uh, as we're not that far from uh, expiration. Uh, cutouts there were higher at noon, and that helped. Seemed like cash was a little bit better than yesterday. And uh, so all of that uh, giving a little positive tone to the hogs. But uh, still looking back at the uh, cattle uh, uh, follow-through and uh, uh, kind of a disappointing day. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter, first two days this week estimated 230,000, same as last week. Hog slaughter, 857,000, 1,000 less than last week. Dewey Nelson reporting. During the growing season, the USDA opens up the parking lot for a farmer's market. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. William Schutte is 
with Tall Cotton Farms. He's out of Urbana, Virginia, and he's been attending these farmers markets at the USDA for the last three years. He says it's got a unique flavor to it. The uh, the market is a world market, believe it or not. Is we have a lot of tourists that come in because of the capital, and you get to meet people from all around the world, and uh, just from all over the United States also. And so it's a very interesting market because you get perspective of other farming activities that uh, we do it this way. Uh, so it's very interesting. Tell me what you guys bring to the farmer's market because you've got a really nice variety from your operation. We, we do grass-fed beef and we have a small cow-calf operation and uh, then we do a full-term Thanksgiving turkey. And what we do is old breeds uh, that only get to the size the customer would want. So we have a midget white turkey that will get to 8 to 10 pounds, up to 15. And then we have a European black, which is what every turkey came from, uh, that will get on up to the 20s. And then we do a broad-breasted bronze uh, for our large birds. And we grow the numbers according to the customer's wishes. How many are you going? Uh, we have about 600. What we've developed, and I would recommend any, anybody that's uh, looking into doing something similar to this, we have a customer list as things went online. We have about 1,300 customers uh, with a customer's list. And what we'll do is when it's time, we just put out saying, okay, you can order your turkey now. And, uh, and the list will actually order the turkeys. And then we do parking lot deliveries to hand them out that we go to the customers and give a, a lot of locations that they can pick them up. You pick a location and we go there and hand you your bird. And we actually give you the bird that you order weight-wise. So, well, I'm originally, uh, I'm a high-end carpenter, professional estimator, and I had a 45-man union company at one time in flooring. Uh, and 23 years ago, actually it was 28 years ago, I went on a farm to build a house and uh, I left there farming, and uh, it was amazing. And we've been farming with this operation here for 23 years, and uh, we've never meet, met a goal. We always seem to come up a little bit short. Next year, the goal is a little bit higher, uh, and we're just trying to go direct and do something other than the straight commercial farm because you have to be so large where you can actually do this small and feed people on what they want to eat as opposed to just going to the grocery store and take what they give you and uh, so it's it's very interesting and it's it's the hardest thing I've ever tried to do the company was a piece of cake to estimate you can estimate to grow something and you never hit it it's got a thousand ways it'll stop you but obviously coming here and the interaction that you have with people telling them about how you raise your animals is important to you as well. It's very important. And the biggest thing is, is telling them why you want to eat what we eat. We have Icelandic kelp in our bird feed, for example. And it's all about lived and hasn't lived. Uh, if it is lived, you can metabolize 90% of it. And that's you down to the bioorganism. If it hasn't, 10%. The Icelandic kelp has over 90 minerals in it. It's lived. So if I feed it to my bird, uh, say a laying hen or a broiler or a turkey, when you get it back, you're getting 90% of the minerals that they get. Comments from the Farmer's Market at the USDA. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. 
A big down day in the grain markets. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel's Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. So guys want to get out of their positions and don't even want to trade this market? Is that what may have happened today? I think in the wheat side especially, you just saw a lot of liquidation. Um, based off of what, it's difficult to say. I think the forecast this morning came out a little wetter on the GFS models, which, you know, if you're watching prices around that 9.30 time frame, you want to make a note of those model changes. It looks like there's going to be some rain. or They're projecting some rain in northwest Iowa and some of the drier areas out west. But uh, I don't know, that doesn't explain much of why, uh, you know, why we were up at one point. 30 in the overnight for beans and closed down 18. I, you know, it's just a massive day. You don't see many of these. Uh, and didn't think I would see it today, but uh, just just overall nasty, nasty price action. Look at when you say price action, 43 cent trading range in November soybeans, even corn. I, I think that was really uh, should be expounded on too. There's this 15 cent trading range. Right. Yeah. I mean, and closing basically on the lows. I, I it's, you know, we're seeing a lot of selling in the front of the curve, and that's very noted. If you look back at the December 18 contract, really wasn't down as much today. It was down about a nickel, whereas we were down 8 in December and down a little more in September. September and December, at least September itself, is pricing itself to the point where it's, you know, really doing what it did a year ago, and it putting pressure on producers at the bottom. Uh, you know, just you got to make notes not to hold your grain into the end of these marketing periods. If you have to sell it by the end of the end of the end of August, at this point, I think you got to look at reownership. But storing is going to be expensive. It's fifteen cents now to move it to December, and you know you're fighting with a lot of new crop sales at that point. I think we'll see higher prices from here. I know the yield the yields certainly aren't made yet, but uh, you know the forecast tend to move everything ahead of time. And uh, right now, we're we're projecting rains to come in and maybe save the day for this uh, this parched soybean crop. Maybe we should note as well, crude oil up over a dollar a barrel, and you would think that would help soybeans and soybean oil. Not today. Not today. No, nothing. Absolutely. Even the dollar being weaker. This is all just fundamental base selling. Um, I think, again, I, I wouldn't be bearish on these moves. I, I think, you know, we'll see another 10 handle on soybeans. And I, I fully expect corn to trade above four again. I, I think it's, it's going to get there. It just you know, is it going to come after this 31st of, of August? And I keep, I'm going to be a harp on that as we move forward here through the, through the summer. 31st of August is when the marketing year ends. A lot of guys with little crop corn need to move it by then. I think after that, the basis improves, the market gets, gets going. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Better yet, go to danielsagmarketing.com and get more information. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network.